Good morning. I'm glad to be back with you after a week in Boston. It was a good time there for spring break. Uh, Ellen was presenting a paper there this weekend, so we, Mika and I piggybacked with her on her trip to Boston, and we had a really good time uh, there in the city. Um, one of the things I like to do in the cities is sort of see what t-shirts people are wearing and what, you know, what kind of messages they're trying to, to get across. And it, it made me realize and reflect on the, the passage that we have this weekend uh, of a favorite text for um, guys in the gym. And it's Philippians 4.13. Who, who knows this verse? How, how, how does it go? That's it. You know, that's, that's the one. That's their favorite one in the gym. You know, you've got that weight and you're like, I can do all things. And you're just hoping, you know, <laughs> that maybe Jesus or someone else is going to spot you <laughs> and, and get it up there, right? But do you know Philippians 4, 14? No. Philippians 4, 14. It's such an important verse because we take the 413 triumphalism and we miss what's really going on when the Apostle Paul gives this message of his internal workings. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Oh, wait a minute. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. What's going on there? What is he after in this text with the Philippians? He's actually after the intersection of money matters with ministry and missions and ministers. So we've been in this series on why money matters and why it's important for us to actually align our heart with God in order to seek the kingdom of Jesus and his righteousness so that then we can deal with the strange powers that money has over us and over others. And when it comes to missions and ministry, carrying out the work and mission of the gospel, the Apostle Paul here has brought together something that Jesus had brought together, that had always been brought together in the expression of God's sovereignty among his people. And that is that there is this issue of who are you relying on, but are you also interdependent with the people of God? Are you ultimately relying on God in your life as your provider? But are you also interdependent with the people of God? And the work and ministry of the church will not be accomplished. The Great Commission will not be accomplished unless we become a people of Philippians 4.13 and 14. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. So let's read the text so that we can see this full context of money matters and the mission and ministry of the church. This is Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. He says, 
I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to the Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Do you know, Paul viewed the people of Philippians, of Philippi, as his partners in the gospel. In chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul tells them that he's thanking God every time he remembers them. He says, in his prayers for all of you, he always prays with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's writing to partners in the gospel, partners who are participating in what it takes to fulfill the mission and ministry of the church, to fulfill that commandment that Jesus gave, the great commandment, that we would fulfill, well, that we would love one another, great commandment, and the great commission that we would actually carry his good news message to others and help them become disciples of Jesus. This work and ministry requires partners. And he tells the Philippians, you are partners in the gospel with me. And you've been my partners from the beginning. Do you know one of the things that gospel partners do is that they show mutual concern. What do gospel partners do? They show mutual concern. 
It's a two-way street and movement. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly when you renewed your concern for me. Not that you stopped being concerned, but you hadn't been able to show it. You know, no one... Can you imagine what the Apostle Paul would do if he had a phone? Especially a smartphone. I think he would have been a texting fiend. All the time, texting his prayers to people. Oh, I was praying for you. Well, I don't need to write you a letter. I'm just going to send you a text. And all thumbs, he would have got it done. Or maybe he would have spoken his prayers and just sent them to you. It was a mutual concern. Do you know, we live in a day when it's so easy to show our concern and care, and yet we don't. We're so slow to do it. The Apostle Paul has to write a letter. The people of Philippians have to round up Epaphroditus and take a collection and then send Epaphroditus to Rome because they've heard that Paul is in prison and they are concerned for him. They are concerned for the bodily care of Paul. They are concerned for the financial care of Paul. They are concerned for the spiritual life of Paul. How is he doing? But Paul also is concerned for them. And so he's writing a letter and he's sending Epaphroditus back with the letter because he's concerned. Do you know missionaries and people who have committed themselves to respond to God's call on their life to share the gospel and their life with another people have at times gone knowing they would never return home. That home would have to be in their heart with Jesus. Home would have to be in their interdependence with people in that very field that Jesus sent them to. When William Carey responded to the call of God in the late 1700s, he was responding to a call that God had been nurturing in his life for years. He wasn't sure where he would go, but he ended up going to India. He got on a boat with his family, traveled to India, was there for 40 years, and never returned home. It became his home. These became his people. He learned the language. He shared his life. But do you know, before he went, one of the grace gifts of God was that there was a team of people who said, we will hold the rope. Here's how it happened. He had shared a message at a church pastored by Reverend Andrew Fuller. And in that meeting... Carrie had shared from his heart that the call of God was becoming more and more urgent. So Fuller gathered up some friends. Carrie said, I will go down like a miner into a mine. I will go down if you will hold the rope. Fuller said of that moment, 
before he went down, we engaged that while he lived, we would never let go of the rope. Wow, what a group of friends. A group of friends who never pulled him up out of that mine and brought him back to Britain. But instead, they continued to hold the rope of prayer and of concern and financial giving in order to provide some help, some sustenance to William Carey. This was the life of the Apostle Paul as well, one of mutual concern for the work of the gospel. He said it was a concern that weighed heavy on him at times. It was worse than the beatings that he received. His concern for what God would do in the churches and the lives of those who were responding to the gospel. He was so thankful, he said in Philippians, to have a man like Timothy. He says, I have no one else like him who shows a genuine concern for your welfare. And then of Epaphroditus, he says, this man risked his life for the gospel when you sent him to take care of my needs and you brought the gift. A mutual concern. Everyone needs a team of mutual concern. If you are a teacher or a lawyer or a medic, if you are someone who's working into the daily lives of our city, you need a group of people who will hold the rope with you for your life and faithfulness to Jesus. Some of you at times will enter into times when you need some people who will hold the rope financially because of the call of God on your life. Every one of the churches that you will be a part of in the future will need your help and assistance to hold the rope, to be concerned for the work and ministry of that church so that you participate by prayer, by activation of your gifts, and by giving. Show mutual concern. But gospel partners must also learn something else. Gospel partners must learn contentment. We must all learn contentment, what Paul calls the secret of being content in any and every situation whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Do you know when Paul uses the word content, he's actually reaching into the social conversation of his day. The social media of his day would have been full of the Stoics philosophy. And one of the highest values of Stoicism was contentment. And by contentment, they meant self-sufficient. So it seems as if Paul is saying, I have learned the secret of being self-sufficient. 
I've learned the secret of being content, of being a self-reliant man. Is that really what he's saying? And just in case they thought that that was what he was saying, he says, but I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Paul was navigating a tension between trusting Jesus and being interdependent with people. He says, look, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for facing my troubles. Jesus is enough for facing the trouble of being in want, in poverty. Jesus is enough for facing the, the troubles that come with having plenty and being comfortable. Ah, yeah. Is that really what he's saying? That both come with troubles? Having enough? Not having enough? It's spiritual trouble for the heart. Most of us don't acknowledge the, the influenza of affluence. We're just thinking, the thing I need to avoid the most in my life is poverty. It's not having enough. But Paul says here, look, there's spiritual troubles that accompany both. And Jesus can help me face them. Oh, we have so much to learn about the secret of contentment. Of being Christ-reliant. When we have a lot, Christ-reliant when we don't seem to have enough. Gospel partners must learn this. And Paul is saying, I'm learning. I'm learning it. I'm learning it. God is working this into my life. I'm learning it. Do you know Jesus made his disciples work this out? Jesus and the 12 disciples were accompanied by a whole circle of other disciples. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, Luke goes on to name a group of women who accompanied Jesus and the disciples. Mary and Joanna, wife of Cusa, who was the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna and many others. These women were helping support them out of their own means. Huh. You mean Jesus had a grace team? Jesus had a, a team of people who were helping supply their needs so that sometimes they were actually sort of comfortable. And, and it wasn't just a group of men with some money. It was a group of women with some money who were disciples, who were supplying the mission, supplying the ministry, supplying the ministers. But there were other times when Jesus led them into places where they didn't have enough. On one occasion, there was a whole crowd of people there in front of the disciples after a full day of teaching. And Jesus turns to them 
after the disciples have come and said, Jesus, excuse me, teacher. Jesus, Jesus, take a break. You need to send them home. Jesus, it's enough. And Jesus, why? Well, they don't have enough to eat. They're going to faint going home, Jesus. I think the disciples were just tired. You know, it's easy to blame it on the crowd. We're, we're going to rescue the crowd from their hunger. So you send them home. But the disciples were probably a bit weary. They'd had enough. And Jesus says, you feed them. You feed them. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? We, we can't feed them. If we, a, a whole year's wages wouldn't be enough to feed them. Jesus says, well, what do you have? We have five loaves and two fish. Oh, that's enough. That's enough. And so Jesus led his disciples into occasions where he taught them contentment in the kingdom. It'll be enough. You're going to make it through. Every gospel partner, and that's all of us, must learn this. And at times and in seasons, those who minister and move according to the commission of Jesus in their lives experience seasons where they have plenty and the seasons where they don't have enough. But they need to learn the secret of contentment. I have had to learn the secret of contentment. Part of the movement into the secret of contentment is to not only say, like William Carey did, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, but also to enter into that season and occasion of your life where you say, God has the right to do whatever he wants. William Carey experienced this after 20 years in India. When he arrived at India, he had to sneak off the boat just outside of Kolkata because the colonial powers there at that time had decided they did not want Christians to come. They were seeking to exclude Christian missionaries from India. Oh, there's a different play on colonialism and the church. So he had to find another captain who would sneak him onto the boat with his family and then let him sneak off the boat into India. And that's what he did. And then he, he began to get to know the people and he began to learn the language. And he found a way to earn his own income. And when he met some other folks who were mission-minded, he said, we should live together. And so they created a communal living setting where they just moved in and out, and people began to move in and out of their space. In that time, he began to translate the Bible into Bengali, Oriya, Marathi, Hindi, Asame, and Sanskrit. How did he know enough to translate the Bible? Well, before he received his call in the ministry, Hudson Taylor, or William Carey, was a shoemaker. A shoemaker. 
That was his craft. And people said he didn't even make good shoes. But in all of his off time, he began to teach himself Greek and Hebrew, the language of the scriptures, until he became intensely familiar with it. And so then when he came to India, he began to force and compel himself to just learn the language of the peoples. And as he learned the languages, he put it into script and he translated it, translated the scripture. He just developed a, a printing press area as well as one of his businesses where he could print things for other people but he could also print the scripture. And he began to take all of these languages and create the printing blocks for making the pages for printing the scripture. At year 20, his printing shop burned to the ground. All of the scriptures he had printed. All of the printing blocks were burned to the ground. Twenty years of labor. Gone. Carrie had no backups. Nothing in the cloud. Twenty years of nonstop labor was gone. How would he respond? He wrote to his pastor friend, Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was one of those who had started to hold the rope. Andrew Murray is famous for his own works on prayer and ministry and missions. And this is what Carey wrote to him. The ground must be labored over again, but we are not discouraged. We have all been supported under the affliction and preserved from discouragement. To me, the consideration of the divine sovereignty and wisdom has been very supporting. I endeavor to improve this, our affliction, Lord's last day, by reading from Psalm 46.10, Be still and know I am God. I principally dwelt on two items. One, God has the sovereign right to dispose of us as he pleases. And two, we ought to acquiesce in all that God does with us and to us. All partners in the gospel must learn kingdom contentment. How to be reliant on Christ. But then also, how to be interdependent with the people of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. When the Apostle Paul received this gift, he was very concerned that they understood the true direction of their giving. That their direction of giving didn't start just because he had a need. The direction of their giving started because they were giving their lives to God. In verse 18 of chapter 4, he says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied 
now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do you know, one of the ways that we manage to put church plus campus together is that our staff has a grace team. Our staff has a grace team of people who are giving financially and praying for us and for you so that we can be, continue to gather in worship, in ministry, and in sharing our lives here with you. Paul had a grace team, but his grace team was established not by people who first saw him and neediness. They were established by a people who first saw God. So they're giving themselves to God. And he says, this gift you gave me actually rises to God as an offering, as a fragrant aroma that he smells and that he delights in. Never mistake your giving as something that's transactional from you to the Apostle Paul, from you to the church, from you to this missionary. Always understand it first. The secret of giving is to give yourself first to God and then give the money. And this is what the Apostle Paul affirms in their lives. He gets so excited about it, and he says, oh, the glory of God. All of this is for the glory of God. He just gets excited. He offers up a doxology right there because he sees the blessing of this ongoing grace. You gave me grace. God gave me grace. I'm giving grace to others who are getting to know Jesus. And now the praise continues. In fact, he wants them to know he gives them a little coded message here that their gifts supporting the ministry that he is involved in is being effective. Did, did you catch it? Notice he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. Wait a minute. Paul's in prison in Rome. Who are the brothers and sisters in Rome that are greeting him? Is it just the other churches that are out and about? Or is there sort of a church on the move that's being established as Paul is prisoned there in a little house arrest? Maybe there's a little church growing in that house. And in case they were just catching on to the coded message, he makes it really clear. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. What? Part of the emperor's family have become followers of Jesus? Yeah. Even the emperor's family have become followers of Jesus. 
This is what gospel partners love to hear. Jesus said, all the angels of heaven rejoice when even one sinner repents. Do you know that William Carey and his friends carried on their ministry in India for seven years before they saw one person say yes to Jesus? That, ye- that one person who said yes, his name is Krishna Chandra Paul. When he became a follower of Jesus, it happened because he had met a doctor. He had slipped and fallen. He had dislocated his shoulder. The medical doctor named John Thomas took him home, and I'm sure it was painful, put his shoulder back in socket, but there continued to minister and care for him and gave him a track that was written in Bengali. Krishna began to come and visit them often, would talk with William Ward and Felix Carey, And they would discuss Jesus until finally the day came that Krishna told Thomas, I am a great sinner, but I've confessed my sin and am free. And then Dr. Thomas says, then I call you brother. Come and let's eat together in love. That move was an announcement of his devotion to Jesus. Because when Krishna ate with these European people, it stirred great consternation among others who realized that he had broken caste by eating with these white people. Despite being mobbed and called a traitor, Krishna was baptized. He was the first to receive Jesus as Lord in seven years of work there. Krishna's wife and sister also made commitments to Christ, as did his four daughters and a neighbor and a wife and another neighbor who was a widow. And they formed the first new community. They had spiritual growing pains. They had difficulties. But Krishna was one of many first. Because they began to worship, he began to write songs. The first collection of songs in Bengali, lifting up the name of Jesus, giving glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This happens because there's mission partners. Both Paul and Carrie and everyone who answers the call of Jesus to share the gospel with others delights at being able to tell the story again of someone else giving their life to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would assist us in being a true gospel partner to someone someday and even now. Would you let us be gospel partners with our own church? Would you let us be gospel partners with someone outside of here, reaching another campus, another place, another people? 
Would you let us be gospel partners with you, co-laborers with Christ in the gospel? And let it be all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.